The Sports Crib Podcast, episode 349. How can football clubs use data more effectively? Hello, Sports Achiever, and thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Sports Crib Podcast. I'm your host, Ed Bowers. As always, my goal each week is to provide you a special guest who's an expert in a particular sector in the sports industry, especially if you have an interest in data and how data is used at a football club. I hope today's episode can support your sports career development, interests, and needs. Now, getting back to today's podcast special guest is Stefan Levin. Stefan is the CEO and founder of Data Talks. Also, he's the co-author of a book, More Supporters, Superior Sales, Real Revenue, and Four Fundamentals of Selling Tickets and Merchandise. For that reason, it's such a pleasure to have Stefan as a podcast special guest. And in this episode, Stefan will share his sports career journey and explain to you how data can be used more effectively when running a football club. Have a listen and enjoy. Stefan, it's such a joy to have you on the podcast show. Please you share to listeners your sports career journey. When did it all start? That, that's a good question, right? But I guess like like for many, um, it starts when you when you're very young. Like it starts when you when you first start doing your own sports, when you're like the the athlete. That's where it starts. That's where like the the passion for for sports sort of develops. Not for everyone, but for most people, actually, right? So that, that that's the way it was for me. <clears throat> it, it started there and then it's just continued through through life. So first as as an athlete and then sort of realizing that mm, maybe my sort of athletic career won't be paying my bills. So so I need to do something else as, as a like a career, but but uh, always in connection with sports. So after that, like after that, like being an athlete, still working with sports in different in various ways. Um, heading up uh, youth teams, being part of a, a member of the board for clubs and stuff like that. So I, it's, I've always been connected to the sports world. And, and now to be able to combine like my passion and, 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 uh, and, and the sports world in, in data talks, it's just, I'm, I'm just the happiest person on planet earth. We'll be talking about data talks really shortly. Just out of interest, what sports did you play when you were a young age and how have you transitioned it? I'm really curious on that side of things. Yeah, sorry, sorry, I didn't mention that, but it was hockey. It was hockey. Ice hockey was my number one. Yeah, I was a, a defender. That was my position. Absolutely loved it. And just on that note, because I always think when we think of athletes, we always think about them at the pinnacle. But I, I'm a firm believer myself. I was a big tennis player. I actually played more field hockey. So I, I was a defender too. I was a sweeper. Um, what sort of looking back when you're playing sports, what transferable skills have supported you in the business world out of interest? Oh, there's so many, I would say, but the, I would, I guess the number one is the learning about teamwork. I mean, this is like a cliche, but I mean, when you're in a team, it doesn't work if you don't work together. It's that's just it. Just look at 
just look at any team, right? If, if it's just a bunch of individuals on the pitch, it doesn't work. You have to get the, the team connected and you have to all be aligned on what you want to achieve and how you want to achieve it. I think that's like the biggest thing. Okay. Can, can I dig deep on this? Because, you know, at Data Talks, you know, you're the founder of it and, and you're bringing that team together. When we think a team, we always think it's easy when it's on a ice hockey pitch or like a football pitch it's easy to picture it how do you create that teamwork in a working environment sorry we're going straight into this conversation i hope people are liking this conversation already but i think this is so so important so reflecting at data talks how do you bring all those components together from a team standpoint well i i think about data talks as a team as a sports team like we have the strikers we have the midfielders we have the defenders and we have the goalies and what that means is that everybody has their like special function in the team, but it all needs to be connected together. Um, so so I, I think about it that way. And you can use so many things uh, from the sports world, even in the business world. It's, it's a lot about performance. Right. But at the same time, you won't get the performance if if uh, everyone doesn't understand what you're trying to achieve and also that there's an environment that you're in that makes you flourish, right? So you have to feel all of these things that like are, everyone's talking about them, but very few are actually hitting down on them. Like the feeling safe, the, the psychological safety, uh, making sure that everybody understands the goals and also trying just to give the framework of what you're trying to achieve. And then within that, well, let go, let the creativity flourish for everyone. I think that is really important. So you say, this is what we're trying to achieve. This is like the framework we set, but within that, Hey, it's, you're the, you're in charge. You're the one to drive, uh, drive the ball forward. And you need to do that. So you use your skill set in the best possible way. So I, I'm just, I just always like, there's so much between how a sports team actually functions and the team that you want to create in the business world. There, there's like, there's so many things you can, you can pick up from that. I want to go in a bit detail. Last thing, because this is one thing I didn't learn. I learned the teamwork thing, which you're saying, but how about culture with regards to building a business culture? Because I wish I got taught that, yeah, you've got the team components, as you said, the strikers, midfielders, defenders, but the, the magic behind it is building that sort of culture with the, let's say the coach and the players for yourself. It could be being the leader and then you've got your workforce. For, relating to your experience, how is building a culture is just as important as building the team at the same time? I see you nodding your head with your body language, but I'd just love to hear your thoughts on this component of it. Yeah. Okay. So, so it's extremely important because culture is what binds everything together. So you can give everyone the the, the tool sets, you can give them the the frameworks, you can give them the the sort of possibilities of using their ability, but it's the culture that makes you want to perform. And that's really important. So, so culture is like, okay, cliches, we all hate them, but there's a reason cliches exist. It's because they're often true. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. you know, the, the cliche uh, culture, eats strategy for breakfast, all of that kind of stuff, but it's true. They, they're there because it's true. So, so you can have the best strategy in the world, but if you have a culture that doesn't bind people together, that people don't agree on, uh, it won't work. And, and another thing, uh, if you have a great culture with values and you're you're making sure that people connect to those values, 
that means that also you don't have to worry actually then you can just use the uh the the power in diversity because then you can get all the people from so many different backgrounds education i mean you can just get them together because they double down on the values that are the same which means that it'll just fit together okay with regards to the power of values because i know you're heavily into and i'm going to say i've watched your different events you do at lorraine with women's sport and equality i see it in practice what you're doing you don't just say the words you actually put it into webinars do you even got your own community of data talks we're going really in deep uh, stefan and i want to carry on this point because i think it's really important i feel like including myself with self-education of values how do we implement values that actually change a workforce and then change an industry i know this is a big question but i think it's really really important where things are in the sports industry right now and i'd love to and, and i'm going to say you're a man i'm a man and i think it's important to address proper allyship as well so i'd i'd love to hear your thoughts of how we put actual values into actual practice if that makes sense for a business standpoint of positive change and you're you're onto something really important there because it's very easy to say okay we have these values and we put them up on the on the office wall and and say these are our values and then we're done but that that that's that of course is not true so first uh, the first thing you need to do is make sure that you actually have someone who owns them who actually has it's a job for them to actually make sure that the values are across the company that they're actually implemented, right? So we have a chief culture officer who has been working and working with these. That that's that is her main main responsibility to work with these uh, with these values. And what that means is, okay, so we have together come up with these are the values. We together have defined what these values mean to us. It doesn't mean that they're that they're uh, that we're finished. It, it's an always a live document, but these values are defined, and these are the ones that we are. We want to live after then going from there and also creating activities um, that sort of make sure that we implement them in the business. Right. So that's one thing. But then also making sure that it actually impacts the way we do meetings, uh, that we implement uh, feedback and that we do that in the right way. Um, so it's it's a way how we behave again, uh, like towards each other. And to make that work, there has to be someone who actually owns that and just works with these uh, questions. So it's not something that you just do on the side. It is, uh, if you're serious, it is actually, it's a full-time job. So can we do one case study? And I'll, I'll share the same thing. Talk about the meetings, if you don't mind, because I want the listeners to put this into practice. If they're starting their career or they're working already in a company, if we, if you don't mind, if you don't mind going a bit depth on that, because when I'm working on different projects on one in women's football, and whenever I do a meeting, I want to make sure everybody has their voice in that meeting, and and I always like make sure it happens because I don't want to feel like some people communicate differently, especially on Zoom calls. It's very challenging because it's not the same in person. I'll just so that's one thing I do. I always make sure I have a plan of that agenda but then I make sure everybody's got a say before we hang up. Like it's one of my non-negotiables to myself when I deliver the meeting. Can, can I just ask what you do at Data Talks so everybody feels like their voice is heard from 
from a value standpoint of what you've just said? That's where it comes down to. That's really important that because then you're down to the individuals, right? So then you have to make sure that, that you're implementing this for each individual, which means, and that starts like with the leadership that they also live by this, right? So you have to make sure that it starts with the leaders that they actually make sure that everybody has a say and that when they, like it starts when you create the meeting, right? Okay, so you, first of all, you 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 make sure that you're not, if you don't need an hour, well, then book an hour. Like we have the saying that you don't, you rarely need more than 45 minutes. So never book a meeting more than 45 minutes. That That's like the start. If you need more time, then book a meeting number two instead. So that, that that's where it starts. And then have an agenda, like make sure that there's an agenda and think through who needs to be in this in this uh in this meeting that that's the second thing and then once you you're there in the meeting make sure that everybody has a say which means that you have to take responsibility of that meeting that you actually are the moderator the one who actually summons the meeting is the moderator so you have to think think in those terms and it's not difficult it's just uh you you have to sort of put down these ground rules that that that's the way we want to that's the way we want to run our company that's the way we want to collaborate and usually it works uh, quite well but it's also things around the meeting that everyone who goes into it, that there's like this freedom that it's okay to say, hey, listen, guys, um, I saw the agenda and it felt like I was supposed to be in here, but I'm not adding value. So I'm going to leave. And that's okay. It's like, you, but to get to that state, it, it, it takes some work to, to get to that stage that everybody doesn't feel the, dismissed in that moment that they still feel very safe in that environment that somebody says, Hey, not for me. Um, but I'll be, I'll like, if you need me, just reach out, but I see that I'm not adding value. So I'll leave. So the, those things are, are really important. And it all goes back to like, then we're back to the culture. Like what kind of values are you setting? Um, and it, then it also comes back to how do you say that? Actually, how do you say it? Like, Hey guys, this sucks. I'm leaving. Well, then everybody will be offended. But if you say, great agenda. Thanks for inviting me, but I'm not adding value. I'm not adding value. So um, I'll leave, but I'll be available. So we're digging deeper of the way we communicate, the the way, the language, the wording. My goodness, I hope people are taking notes. I'm going to put you on the spot now, Stefan. May I, would you mind sharing a few values that Data Talks actually apply? Because then the listener can articulate it to their personal values, because I'm mindful we've stepped the gun and they may not be in the industry yet, but if they can think in these sort of terms, how we're talking, when they're in that working environment, they're going to slot in with any company straight away. So may I ask just a few values you really stand for, like stand for at Data Talks? I'll be really grateful for that. Absolutely. We actually have six values, which is a little bit, it's a, it's probably too, too many. I, I would like, so we're looking at this, we would like to have four. It's much easier to, to grasp, but we have six right now, but I won't share all six, but I'll share the, the ones that I think are the most important. I'll, I'll double down on one. So, so um, one is take ownership. That's important because you, you can't, uh, you need to make sure that everybody takes ownership of their tasks that, that they are given. Right. So, and that means that you say, okay, this is my task. I'll draw it from start to end. It doesn't mean that you have to do it all by yourself or that you have all the answers, but you are in charge of making sure that that task is 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 completed in whatever sense, right? So, so taking ownership is really important. The second thing is focus on result. I mean, a lot of people say, well, why are you focusing on result? That that seems a bit harsh, but that that's not it. 
focusing on results means that we're not focusing on when you're doing your task, where you're doing it, or how much time it's taking. We're more into that it actually delivers the result that we're expecting. So that actually gives a lot of more freedom to everyone. And especially in this in these <laughs> sort of days where, where we're working remotely and so on, that's really important that we focus on results and not like where you do it, when you do it, and so on. So that, that that's also a very important value that we keep that focus. But then, and the third one, which I want to uh, talk a little bit more about is uh, a fearless, uh, it, it's called fearless. It's a fearless state of mind, which means, and it's actually fearless. So there are two, like if we simplify things, two states of mind, fear-based or fearless, okay? So if you're fear-based, that means that you go into a meeting and you know, if I don't say the right things, they will shoot me down, right? So that means that you're always like in fight or flight mode, which means that your creativity part of your brain is being shut down. That's actually really what happens. So it's it's being shut down, which means that as a business, we're not getting the full potential of every employee. We want the creativity. So that means that we need to create a fearless environment, which means that, and then we're back to that psychological safety, right? We need to create an environment where you go into a room and in a meeting and you say, I have this crazy idea. I'm going to shoot it out there. It won't, People might not agree, but I feel comfortable enough to do it. So I'm just going to share this idea and then we'll talk about it. It might just not be implemented, but that's okay. There, That's like a big difference. And I'm not saying that this is easy or that we're like doing this perfectly, but we at least have to have the ambition of that's where we're heading. So the, I would say those those three would be the ones that I would point out a little bit. I love that fearless part. Now, I'm now going to go back to you and your career development. And you, you've already given some psych, psychological learning frameworks already with the fight or flight. I can tell you've studied psychology of some sort, either self-development. How has that helped you run data talks, but actually help you as a leader? Or Because for me... I've, I did psychology at university without a doubt learning psychology has helped me be a better communicator and with the gospel body language I'm going to put you on the spot how has psychology supported you with your own sort of personal development oh there there's so there's so much on this topic it's it's one it's there's so much uh, that you can get from it when you're trying to lead others right but it what I would say uh, you need to go back to yourself first so you need to understand yourself and you need to be able to lead yourself before you can lead others now that's another cliche that but it's still true right so what i've done is that i've actually spent quite a lot of time on understanding myself and sort of facing the the demons that i have and made sure that i understand them what sort of triggers me because that if i if i know that and i can sort of handle that that makes me a lot calmer and it makes me feel safer which means that i am okay to also bring that in uh, to others, that I can also face others in a, in a in a much better way. That I feel secure about myself means that I can handle something that comes up from someone else. So you need to it's it's going both ways. But I'm I'm quite sure that if you're not comfortable with who you are, and you're not feeling like um, that you don't know yourself, then it's really hard to lead others. So you, there's always that dimension. Then when you then when you're talking about the communication part of it, it's that that that's another thing because there's so much psychology in that as well. How do you actually the way that how do you actually say things? And it's not it's not what you say; it's how you say it. And you have to remember that you're communicating on 
the conditions of the receiver. They decide how your message will be received. You don't get to decide that. They decide that. So you have to think, you have to put them in, in, you have to put yourself in their shoes. Yeah. Otherwise, yeah. And you've got to respond instead of reacting. Exactly. So there's there's so much around Mm -hmm. that. Can we dig deep a little bit? I don't want to get too personal because everybody has their own inner demons, but I'm just curious of one component that you had to overcome. So for me, I'll give you one that when I started my podcast, I was so enthusiastic, energized, and then eight years on pursuing a career in the sports industry, I've learned actually it takes years to build credibility. It doesn't, like if you're listening, everybody, I'm not joking, it's taken me years to build the consistency, build the credibility of my own personal brand, but when we start a career, you think it's going to happen like like this right from the get-go when you just graduate. And I think as much as I'm all about youth being enthusiastic, but without a doubt, being patient is really, really key. And that's relating to me being like knowing more about myself to then like play the long game. Again, another cliche, but it's so true. It's having that time period to go through certain cycles of development. So there's a little bit my end. I'm just curious of you being a lead yourself at Data Talks was there one component that you had to overcome some way or some form of being better at knowing yourself? Because that's such a big topic. But I'm just curious if there was one component that that made you better of who you are right now, reflecting back. Absolutely. Now, there's a, there's expression for this, which totally slipped my mind now. Um, anyway, it's, it's like when you feel that you're fake, you're phony, right? There is this, uh, there is this uh, expression for it, but 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 when you feel that, hey, when are they going to find out that I'm all a, that I'm a fake, that I'm that I'm, that that I don't actually know anything, like you're, that self doubt. I think that's the one component that you need to get get past and just realize first of all that you don't know everything, but that's okay. But you also know a lot of things, so focus on them. And be open about what you actually don't know. And that's okay because no one knows everything. But just getting past that and and, and being comfortable in, in, in that, being comfortable in what you actually know, what you don't know, and trying to actually find that out. But I think that that that's the one component that that helped me quite a lot is, is uh, opening up and saying, yes, this is what I know, this is what I don't know. And being like, uh, and also asking those questions with, Hey, listen, I don't know this. This might be basic to you, but listen, I don't, I don't know. I don't know how to record a podcast. Can you, uh, can you help me? I mean, like, like those things. So as a solution standpoint, internally, it's saying acceptance of a bit of vulnerability, but as another solution, it's being, would you say a lot more curious? Would you say curiosity has supported you at the same time? Absolutely. And I think that that's something that you need to keep uh, for, for, I mean, we, we learn as long as we uh, live, right. And, and, there's always learnings to be to be made. That's for sure. Like I, I of course, I do a lot of sales, right? You just keep on learning. You make mistakes every day. And it's like fantastic because that's the way you learn. But getting to that state where that's okay, that it takes some, it takes some time. Like not being beat down by all the mistakes you made, but rather seeing them as a as an asset. It's not easy. I I or I'm sorry, at least I didn't feel that that was easy. To get to that state where I just say, "Well, good, great, I made a mistake. Great, I learned from it. Let's go move on." It's so easy to say, but actually being there and, and believing that that is that is um, that mistakes are an asset that that is not easy. So how, how how do you process your mistakes? Again, I'm being real here because you're saying dimes, and I I have to follow up on them because 
we, like you said, it's easy said than done. So what I do every evening, I always journal. I actually have two types of journal, one for self-awareness and then one for like, what could have been better today on one component? Like it could be this podcast or, and I write it down and then I've learned from it. And next time I do something, I try not to do the same mistake. If not, it becomes a pattern, then a loop and then a habit and so on and so forth. So may I ask with the work you're doing in building data talks as an example, with any business, there's always milestones or challenges along the way. May I ask how you address those as learnings, to, but you're still on the same vision of the course of the direction you want to go? Yeah. Okay. So, so this is a this is an interesting topic, right? Because I have never like doubted where I want to take data talks or on the vision. Like that's that's pretty much set in stone. It, it will take <laughs> it will take a lot of effort to like convince me that I'm. I'm wrong about that vision, but how to get there and exactly which steps we need to take uh, to to achieve that there, I know I, I go in with it and I don't have all the answers and just being like very open about, I do not do like the journals. I have never done that. It doesn't work for me. I'm not that kind of, it, that, that, that doesn't work for me. But what I do is I talk to people. So I'll give you an example. Six months ago, the, the guy who heads up our Dach uh, region, he said, listen, uh, we, need to, we need to change our business model just a little bit. And I'm right, really against that. The reason is I don't believe that changes in the business model will help you create the sale unless you've actually implemented or shown the value. You need to show the value before you start changing anything about the business model. But he said, yeah, but we're, we're doing all of that. I mean, the value is there, they see it, but we need to change because it will make it easier for them to actually take the decision to, to um, engage with us. It's, it's just that. And I said, and he, had a, he had, a, had a proposal on how to do that. And I said, well, listen, I don't know. You're wrong. I don't believe in this. And he said, okay, so what, what have you, why are you saying no? So what data are you basing that on? I don't. I didn't have anything other than my gut feeling. And I mean, he said, well, listen, we're a data-driven company and you're saying that you're basing your decision on a gut feeling. How can we, how can this be? So he said, what we should do, he said, what we should do is test it, right? We should, we should evaluate it. And he said, okay, I don't believe in, I said, I think it's wrong, but okay, you, you have the, you have the go ahead, go do it. It worked perfectly. I mean, it was like the 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 absolutely right thing to do. So I was wrong. I was wrong, and he was right. And once again, I just displayed it. I and I've talked about it with so many people. I've openly talked about it at Data Talk, saying this is what happened. This is what I said. This is the turnout. So I was wrong. And what what does this mean? Well, first of all, do not base your decisions on gut feeling. Once again, proven. And then also, like, why did I? Because I had this perception that I was that I was right, you have to look beyond that. So that was my mistake of even trying to fight against what he was saying. So it's just being for me, it's just being open about it and sharing it as much as possible. Well, Steph, I want to say thanks so much for that. Seriously, like I hope the listeners are learning that there's different ways. Like for example, like I, I know what you've said there. You can't always like data is a metric. It's a fact. But I do believe there is gut of there's positives of focusing on the gut as well. Like there's times of Che, I see you nodding your head. I think it's just how you approach it. But the key thing of the learning of that is you gave the opportunity to experiment it. And that's the most important thing. 
Wow, what a comp. Yeah, carry on. Yeah, ju- yeah, just one thing about the gut feel. I mean, gut feeling is something that that you should absolutely uh, use. It's it's not like you you shouldn't shut it out. It needs to be there. But then at the end of the day, you need to also verify everything. I think with the actual numbers, gut feeling is a great way sometimes to to start, but it's not the way you should be basing your decisions. And that was what I was doing, right? What he was saying, let's go. I I I have this gut feel. He was saying, I have this gut feeling that this is what we should do. Let's test it. Let's get the data in and see if it actually works or not. So he was right, and I was I was wrong in that sense. I, I know I know gut feelings. You know, internal is is it very uh, it's a feeling, right? Was your, would you say the gut feeling was triggered because it was it wasn't connected with the values and vision? Uh, this is out. I'm just talking out. I'm curious of why the gut feeling was so strong, or was it just how you looked at it? The, as you said, the perception. No. Okay. So. It's- yeah, so that that goes back to like the the idea I have around like how we should be building the 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 company, for instance. And one one thing is that I am very like uh, I don't believe in changing. Like like if you're running into problem, let's say, let's say that you're not doing uh, uh, sales the way you're not hitting the targets that that you want to in 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 the way that you want to. The first thing people start saying is like, oh, okay, either the the product is wrong or the pricing is wrong. And I, I believe that, okay, so the product is probably, it could be wrong, absolutely. So, it, but if you have the data around that, like you have the product market fit and that you can measure if you, if that's okay. And then they say, well, the pricing is wrong. Well, typically it isn't. It's rare that the pricing is actually totally off. It's probably that you have not been able to show the value. So that's why I'm, I was so sensitive about like changing the business model, changing the pricing, because I think that there are other components you need to change before you come to that. But in this case, um, in this case, he was right. Awesome. Well, Stefan, if you don't mind, I want to talk about sales. You mentioned it a few times. And just for people listening, for me, I always believe we're always salespeople of some sort from persuasion or collaboration. And But I know when people start in a career, again, this was another component when I just graduated. I wish I got taught about sales, but not about here's a product, sell it more, the approach of sales. Would you mind just sharing what you've learned from sales and how you approach it from a skill set standpoint. Oof, that, that that's a big topic. But first of all, I think the 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 first thing to be if you want to go in, it's if you're doing sales, the first thing you have to believe in the product you're selling. You actually have to think that what I'm selling to this to this company, the product that I'm representing, will actually do what it what we say it does. So if you don't believe that you it it won't work. So that's the first thing, and that doesn't it doesn't matter what you're selling. You have to believe in the product, or you have to believe in the people, or whatever. You have to really be at that point, because if you're not, then it shows. It shows in 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 not maybe that, that those conscious ways, but it definitely shows that you're not believing in in the product that you're selling. So then you won't be you won't be successful. So I think that that's the first thing, and then the 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 second thing is like there is. There is a lot of different uh, methods out there, sales methods, and some work, some don't. You have to find your own sort of take on it. There's not one method that works for for everyone or for every situation. Uh, so make sure that you read up on a couple and find your your way of doing it. But um, also remember that sales it's not it's not magic or it doesn't just happen. It's you need to be very systematic in your approach. In sales, sales is an extremely structured and and systematic way of working, right? There's a lot of psychology in it, 
But the way to deal with that is to be systematic and structured. Because if you're not, then you're leaving too much to chance. Like then you're leaving too much to the psychological component. So to be able to get that part out a little, a little bit out of the equation is to be systematic and structured and always being able to evaluate the different steps. Can I provide a case study that I've learned? I'm going to give a case study because I think this is how I started learning. I did a course from Crank Cardone. He said, if you're selling a car, they don't you don't give them the keys and they give you the money. No, the first thing is they go around the car parking lot. Then they get in the door, which is always the hard part because they feel like they're going to be sale. But you've got to find that communication to feel them that they can explore and then they can come to you. You get them sitting down, you do the paperwork, then you do a test drive to fill the car, get the experience, like the value. There's the product, like here's a lovely BMW. How does it feel? Do you like the smell of the car and the new feel? Like, And then you bring them back to the car parking lot. Do you want to sign? I've learned it's to be quiet on the sales bit. Get the pen out. Thank you very much. Like there's, I see you smiling, but it's this component where I don't, I don't know about your thoughts, but in the sports industry, we don't look at it like that. Maybe if we're selling a packet, like a hospitality package, I just see loads of adverts, but there's no like, Ooh, what's behind the, the, the graphic of the experience of what I'll get. And I want to go into today's podcast topic, but would you add anything to that case study? If you wouldn't mind just from what I've just said before we move on, because I do want to talk about today's podcast topic, but I would love your thoughts what I've just said. Yeah, so so I think uh, one, one, one of the things that you said, uh, if we relate this to the sports industry, I think we uh, we in the sports industry need to see that we're actually also selling a product. That that that, that that's just the case. We need to we need to acknowledge the fact that we're selling a product, and the 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 product that we're that we have. It is there. There's a lot of loyalty and there's a lot of engagement around it, but it doesn't sell itself. You have to actually sell it. I think that's one major thing that a lot of uh, clubs are actually uh, missing out on is that they think it'll sell itself, but there's nothing uh, that shows that the high loyalty that we have in the sports industry that that is that is automatically converted into revenue. There's no there's no such thing. So you have to actually work for it. Uh, you have to actually sell the product. So I think that that that's something, and people are reluctant. That's this is my my experience, and when I talk and 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 talk about this, people don't want to see their club as a product or or the the team as uh, on the pitch as the product. But it is. That's that that is not uh, looking down on it. It's actually helping your your club to even be even more successful. Um, so I think that that's one thing that that we should because if you start looking at that way, it's much easier to also find the process and find the structure and being systematic and having a, a systematic approach to. Would you say it also gets rid of the emotion of the sale as well? Because as you know, in the football industry, football as an example, we're so passionate that sometimes there's so much emotion where when you're trying to sell a product, you, you're relaying on passion. I'm don't get me wrong, this word's used a lot on my podcast show, but. From a sales process, it's all about, like you said, the value that the person is experiencing. I love your thoughts on that side. No, I agree. I mean, there's so much passion and you should use that passion, of course, to 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 be able to uh, to sell your product and to <laughs> to whoever you're trying to sell it to. But the it can't be all about passion. There has to be also a way of converting that passion into actual results, right? and that's where the systematic approach comes in that that's where that's where data comes in as well to to actually make that transition so passion is great 
But if you only have passion and you don't know and you don't have the know-how, then then you can't utilize that passion to actually create any results. Then it will just be passion. Yeah. Bit like the gut feeling, everybody. It's it's an emotion, it's a feeling instead of something you can measure. See, I told you this conversation is really, really good. And let's get today's podcast topic because I'm excited about it. And it relates to what you've really just hinted already with the power of data. So with us today's podcast topics, how can football clubs use data more effectively when running the club? Okay, so so there there's a um, a bunch of bunch of things, right? But we we touched it a, a little bit. So uh, one of the things that 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 we talked about already is like there's a high engagement, there's a high loyalty. I mean, that is one one thing that separates the sports industry uh, from any other industry is that you as a club can actually take the loyalty for granted. The loyalty is there. I mean, it's not like I'm a Man United fan. I won't be switching to Liverpool anytime soon. I mean, my loyalty is with the club. So it's a little bit granted. But once again, there's nothing to say that uh, the high loyalty automatically converts into revenue. So then you need to put some work into that. So what does that mean? Well, to be able to convert loyalty into revenue, you actually need to understand the product I have, how do I actually sell that to my target group, right? So what do I sell to whom? And to understand that, you need data because data will actually give you that answer. It will give you that answer of what you should be selling to whom. And it's it's basically down to the like four the four fundamentals that I think we also mentioned in 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 the book that you've read. Book. Yeah, we'll talk about that. We'll, we'll talk about that. Brilliant. But it, it, it sort of comes down to that. So what what data will help you with is making sure that you can grow your your supporter base, meaning that you start like converting the unknown follower bases you have on social media into known fans that you can actually talk to, communicate with. But then you need to understand, okay, so what should I be saying to these supporters? And that's where the data comes in. So collect and start like putting those uh, data points together with the supporter and making sure that you're not saying the same thing to everyone, like segmenting them. And then finally saying, okay, so how will I put this message across? Well, do that in the way that the supporter wants you to, right? So once again, think, put yourself in the shoes of the recipient and say, how would they want this message to come across? And that's the way you should be communicating. And all of those answers around that is in the data. So with that, because I was going to say segmentation, because I run my own email list and I keep it simple with an email list from a case study standpoint, with the benefits of segmenting your list. So let's talk about loyalty like I know a good friend who's a Tottenham fan and there's three generations of season tickets they've got the granddad they've got the father they've got the son so hopefully there's three generations different you know way of looking at Tottenham from the 80s the early 90s and now sort of the 2000s or where we are now the 21st century so from those three segmentations of the you know granddad the father and the son so let's do 80 years old 60 and I think he, yeah he's, he's 29 Going back to the segmentation, you said with the language, do you feel like we're at a stage now where tailoring language to different segments of loyalty is just as important too? From like growing the club financially, but also adding value to generations from a law standpoint. I know it's a big question, but I want the listener to visualize what you mean with segmentation of that case study. 
first of all absolutely just just knowing first of all knowing that they have three generations of season ticket holders that's really important to know right before you start communicating because that will have implications of how you say things and then of course making sure that you won't be saying the same things to the to the 80 year old as the, the 29 year old so you need to separate those right so that that's that's one thing and then you need to know okay so what are they doing like okay so one is might just be going to the to the games and not interacting in in any other way while the 29 year old is probably engaging a lot more like what content are they uh, consuming um uh, OTT we like OTT, the TikTok OTT and and uh, what merch are they buying uh, what what else are they doing and interacting with the club that is really important as well because that will definitely have implications on on how you communicate and what else you actually in the end want to sell to them right so there's there's this there's a lot to be done there when it comes to the segmentation because that brings the understanding of of what you should be saying so you you need to you need to use all of those different data to understand what, what you should be saying. So I'm going to give you a really basic question, but I think for clubs who are listening, it's really important. So what are the real benefits of a customer data platform with regards to what you've just said there from the segmentation, but actually implementing it, then just saying it's a nice fancy term because it's actually a tool that can support clubs? So, so first of all, um, let's just be clear that all tools are just stupid right there's no magic around tools it's it's software and the software doesn't help you unless you actually change the way you're working a little bit but you need to make sure that the the software that you that you that you get doesn't impose a big change management project so it needs to sort of support the process you already have in place but also enable you to do things a little bit differently so you get better results than you were before you implemented the software. Now, the, the having the concept of the customer data platform or the supported data platform, let's, let's call it that, uh, then <clears throat> what it does is the four fundamentals that I was talking about, growing your supporter base, getting the, the data around the supporter into one place, segmenting, and then also in the end, also communicating in the way that they, the supporters will really appreciate. That's what the CDP does for you in one, in one uh, uh, platform. So that that's why it actually brings the benefit, and what it does in the end, it actually increases your revenue. So that that's what we're after, and that's the one thing that we measure when we go into uh, customers is that how much impact are we having on the different revenue streams, whether it being ticket sales or match day revenue, or if it's merchandise or if it's sponsorship agreements, is what is the impact we're having on, on, on revenue. But everything is around those four like fundamentals, and that's what's needed to be supported. But uh, once again, uh, it's, it's software. You also need to put the, 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 the effort into it. 100%. Would you mind just sharing to listeners what data talks about? We've mentioned it a few times, but for listeners going, what's this data talks? Could you just explain what you do and what you specialize in so the listeners can really understand the work you do, which you're very passionate about, which you said right from the get-go of this conversation? Basically, what we do, what, what we want to help our our the, the, the clubs and leagues and federations that we actually work with or the rights holders that we work with is to make sure that we uh, increase their revenue streams. Like how do and how we do that is to make sure we in an easy way uh, monetize the supporter data. 
And we have a, a software, a platform that actually helps you do that. But we also know that most uh, clubs, for instance, they are scarce on resources and time is very limited. So we've made sure to create a tool that is built for the sports industry with those uh, sort of restraints in mind. So we actually have a tool that will support you and will help you work more efficiently when it comes to the four, four fundamentals that I talked about. Some of those are, are actually being carried out today, but not as efficient and, and not as well as they should be. And hence, they're not getting the results. So what it does is help you actually monetize your data and in the end, create more revenue. And can we touch on your book? Because there is one quote I want to mention of the book and then you can dig deeper because I hopefully this will help the clubs or the you know, rights holders with regards to when they have the tool, then they can implement a strategy. And this is the best definition I've read for a very long time. And it's in the book. You said in the book, a strategy simply means asking yourself what you want to achieve, when you want to achieve it and how you can achieve it. So honestly, I've, I've written that down a handful of times when I read your book going, it doesn't have to be running a football club, anybody. It could be your career journey of having a career plan or you call it a career strategy. But I want to implement that quote in now because I feel like it fits so well that, and I, I use different tools and sometimes we get, you know, um, overwhelmed is probably the word when it's something new. So, but by when you have a strategy, which is, I call it your why, using that tool becomes a lot easier because you have a direction you want to go when utilizing that tool. So can we touch on that of the one relating to that quote in the book, but also when you have the strategy in place, everything else will come, you know, create that positive domino effect within the direction and the results a club or a federation is trying to achieve. Absolutely. Of course you, you need a plan. You need, you need the strategy in place. Uh, that, that, that is, that is for sure. Um, but not necessarily that that it needs to be like you don't need a. I think there's too sometimes there's too much emphasis on the strategy. It's important to sort of set the goals and like it's more important to set the goals actually. And you don't need to be that hundred percent sure of how you're going to get there. But set the goals so so you have those in, in place, and then you start figuring out how to get there. Because it's it's really easy to get stuck on like, okay, we've set this goals now, how do we actually do this? And we have to have a plan and it has to be perfect, but that's not how it works. And especially these days, it's really easy to ex experiment and you should, you should do that. So I have this like saying is like, you should think big and then you start small and then you scale after that. So th that that is also like a very good method of, of thinking around strategy. So, so set, think big, set the goals, and then think, okay, so like, what is the starting point? And then you start there and then you just create the plan as you go, because that will also give you the, the possibility of making some mistakes and, and, and sort of correcting them. Yeah. And the adjusting. Direction. Yeah. So could you share to listeners the book? Like I had Lorraine on the podcast. She went into that, but I've read it twice. As I said to you, even before we went live, it's just a great book that if you want to work in the football industry, it's a must read. Even if you don't work in data, by the way, all the chapters are so relevant uh, to where the football industry is now uh, and and how you approach it to your own career development, too, of utilizing data. It's not just for football clubs. Can I all work in the football industry? But can you just share what the book's about and what you enjoyed the most writing the book, like the whole process as well? 
Oh, okay. Uh, first of all, thank you. Very, very, very kind to, to say that. Uh, I'm really happy that, that you enjoyed the book. Um, the whole idea with the book is to give people actually a, a concrete tool and maybe a help to sort of sort out all of the thoughts around around um so everyone's talking about monetizing the supported data you need to be data driven and blah all of those right so we wanted to create a very concrete tool and help people sort their thinking around it so just not be like one of those um one of those books that just implement ideas but more like try to get be as hands-on as as possible right so so and and also directed towards the sports industry so so that that's what the book book is about it's to give you a way of actually so how do we actually uh, create more supporters from and more revenue uh, from from what we have at hand uh, so that that that's what the book is about and um uh, it was it was of course a lot of fun to to write it uh, i love the process because what we put into it is a lot of the uh, ideas and and a lot of the sort of things that we're talking about and and the experiences that we that we have or that I have and then just getting those in and like having to force yourself to say like questioning yourself well what does this actually mean and how can I explain this in a very easy way so it it was a really good process where you also sometimes questioned some of the things that you had drawn as conclusions and said, hmm, is this really correct? So that it was a very interesting, it was a bit of a learning process as well, I would say. Oh, yeah. Writing a book is a learning process. I wrote a book with a, an Olympian and my goodness, it's a lot lot longer process than people assume it's not just putting words on paper there's a process but there's one great chapter that I really enjoyed was like when you know the marketing strategy of not like copying other teams or other it's all about personalizing it there's something I've even written down today because funny I've had somebody on Dan Wood on my podcast and he goes you know the problem with the football industry particularly the men's game it's, it's very copy and paste he said and the thing that I know you're associated with this because it's in the book, but if you look at Lewis FC as a club and an identity, they went personalization on their values-driven club that brought positive attention, certainly with the equal pay component that draw rivals because they were different. They didn't copy other teams. They they stood stood by the values. I'm, I've had uh, Karen Dobrez on my podcast, but there's just a little example in the book where where the book's great. It's like, you should like every team should have their own marketing strategy, but you don't have to copy what other teams are doing. You can use your own community to find inspiration of that marketing to build the loyalty. So there's just one chapter. I know people benefit if you want to work in the football industry, but could you also tap into your community as well? I did say, I did speak to Lorraine in a lot more detail, the community, but I know you're really passionate about women's sport in general and as a, as an organization, but could you just share what the vision is behind the community aspect from a data talks perspective absolutely so um why we started the community is because we want we see that we can actually give something back right uh, what we do can actually benefit uh, especially uh, uh, women in sports right so what what we can help uh, women in sports grow and we can do that by using the 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 tool we created by the ideas we have the know-how we have to actually make them 
be more successful and drive revenue because driving revenue will also give freedom, right? So it will give you your own two legs to stand on. So that that it is important. So the the community community is all about uh, giving giving back and making sure that we sort of can can channel all of the things that we know and specifically doing that for for women in in sports so it's it's um it's a very much heart focused project in that sense but once again it's also to bring value it's it's not just to start a community because that's a great csr project it's it's more of actually we want to bring value to that community and actually help uh, help uh, women in sports uh, uh, develop and maybe uh, not develop the same way or find their own way to develop rather than copying. And I think that there's a big um, also awareness around it that they shouldn't copy the way that the men do- have done it. They should find their own, their own way. And we want to be a part of that, basically. That, that, that's what the idea behind the community is. And Lorraine is driving that in, in such a great way yeah absolutely like on the podcast that we had she's so passionate and if there will be links in the show notes of how you can get access to that everybody but Stefan going back to your career journey now like what have you enjoyed the most looking back right now oh there's so many <laughs> there's so many things but I think the one thing that I've enjoyed so much is meeting all the people uh I think that that is that is the one thing that I always come back to um just just all the people that I've met. But then, of course, uh, finally getting the chance to sort of put all my my experiences and, and my sort of um, knowledge and skill set and combining that with my passion for sports. I mean, being able to do that is is so fantastic. And it's actually uh, making me live as I sort of preach. I, I, I was talking about like, we need to use the passion, but not only passion, we need to apply like the business mindset. And that's what I need to be doing with data talks as well. Not just using my passion, but y- utilizing that passion, but putting my business mindset on it, if that makes sense. But I, yeah, hundred percent. And and I can feel the energy of this whole conversation from the passion standpoint. It's not just saying that word. It's the conviction in how you communicate it, I think it's a real key thing. And if you can do that, when you speak to people in the sports industry, this is to the listener step and like, it makes such a difference that you actually care in what you do. Um, the sports industry is, has its challenges of like putting yourself out there and by showcasing your enthusiasm goes so far. And that comes down to your communication and all the topics we've discussed today. But look, Stefan, I've really enjoyed this conversation, but I'd like to finish with an inspirational question and i'm going to stick to the passion theme because i'd like you to break that down for me what three tips would you give to the listener to apply their passion in the sports industry but it's like they've got to put it into action themselves like what would they be it's a big question i haven't asked this before but you've convicted it so well but i would love to break it down for the listeners so they can apply it with regards to their career journey okay so so then i'm a little bit back to the to the sort of passion thing so the first thing i think would be don't view the sports industry from the fan perspective um it doesn't really help you need to be viewing it from a business perspective you uh, if you're a fan of, of of football and you want to work in the football in a football club that's great but you need to use your business perspective so otherwise you it, things get 
Define the business perspective. Oh, the business. Well, okay. So, um, so let, let, let's say uh, I, I want to work with this uh, club or I want to work in the sports industry and I'm a great uh, salesperson. Well, then make sure that what you're doing can be applied in the sports and it actually creates value in the sports industry. It's not just because you're a fan, because that won't help the sports industry and you won't actually succeed. You won't be successful because there's a big change also going on in the sports industry. There's a big transformation going on. So I think that's that's my first tip. The second, um, the second one, we talked about this, but that's use your passion to drive the change. Because you're, if you're passionate about something, I mean, you've moved mountains, not a problem. So use the passion to drive change. And then uh, my, my last tip it might be the most important one is have fun. Because if it's not fun, it's not worth doing. Because if you're not, if you're not having fun, you'll just burn out. So, so you, so you need that component is more important than than people think. So, would you also relate to that last point? So, I'm doing the last thing. We end up just wasting time. Now, I know a person like you, you use time to your advantage, but we won't get that time back. So, with the fun element, is it also you're wasting time? of the potential what you want to do sorry i'm gonna absolutely you're you're in not just wasting time <laughs> i mean life's too short you have to have fun but it and it's it shows if you're having fun and you enjoy what you do it doesn't mean that everything is like a smooth ride and and you don't have like things i mean things don't go your way and all of that but if you at the end of the day and you and you summarize and you say yes it's been a good day. It's been a fun day. I've had fun. Then that will that will everyone else will catch up on that. So that that's why it's so important. Hundred percent. Look, I hope people have enjoyed this conversation. But most importantly, apply those tips to your sports career development now. Stefan, it's been a joy chatting with you. But out of interest, how can people interact with you and Data Talks on social media? Where like where are the best places to go? Oh, okay. So we have the website, of course. That's that's one one great way. Uh, uh, search, uh, find me on LinkedIn. Happy to connect. That's another one. You can find both Data Talks and myself on on X or Twitter. I don't know what to call it anymore. <laughs> so there you have it. And then, uh, of course, any, any other social media. But I, uh, if they want to re- reach out, then use LinkedIn. I think that's the that that's the best uh, channel. That is great to all the listeners listening in. All those links will be on my website, including the book link as well with us, the show notes, uh, where you can access that. Stefan, it's been a joy chat with you today. Thank you very much. Thank you. It was a great conversation. What a fascinating podcast chat with Stefan. And without a doubt, his energy was off the charts with regards to our conversation. And I hope you learned a lot from Stefan with regards to his energy, with regards to how he showcases himself as a leader, running data talks and the conversation we had about building a team, the lessons he learned from ice hockey and really using those teamwork components into data talks with a strong culture, understanding why values is important within organization too in making decisions. And then with regards to today's podcast topic, hope you've got a better understanding how data can support football clubs, how they run more effectively by making better decisions when running a club. For me, that's what data is all about. When I've had other experts on my podcast talk about data, really data is a way 
of like experimenting, which we discussed in this conversation of what works compared to our gut feeling. As much as our gut is a great indicator when making decisions, but really when we've got metrics, it means we can make a stronger decision, which makes more logical sense, business-minded sense, relating to Stefan's word of like running a business in the football industry. But with regards to a sports career development standpoint, the one sports career tip, which was such a great reminder, is the enjoyment and why you do what you do in the sports industry and have fun. Yes, Stefan's spot on, you're going to have areas of challenges along the way. But in generally, if you do things you enjoy, it doesn't feel like work. And when you have that business mindset, everything comes together with regards to the results you achieve in the work you do and the results you're trying to achieve in the sports or football industry. So look, I'm really curious of what was your biggest takeaway from this podcast and how you can apply it to your sports career development now. Make it happen and just do it. Now, as always, at the end of each podcast episode, I'd like to finish with an inspirational quote from my guest speaker. Stefan said, life is too short and you have to have fun. And it shows when you have fun to people, they will connect with it in what you do.